everyone, and welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Great to see you today. I'm going to conclude a series of messages that we started on uh, January, the first part of January. And, uh, and that was a series that I have titled Finding Security in an Insecure World. And every time I've introduced the sermon, I've always said to you, I don't have to convince you that we live in an insecure world. Um, and every Sunday, I have reason to say that again because you've given, we've been given every day opportunities to recognize how insecure this world is that you and I are living in. How do we find security? All of us want that. We want the stability that, that, um, that is necessary in a world that's falling apart. And over the last few weeks, we've discovered that that security, that stability is found in God and in his word. And we have made some discoveries together that kind of laid the foundation that have guided us in this study. And so I simply remind you that, that we've discovered four truths that really perform or provide for us the bedrock upon which we can build a secure life in an insecure world. And so I'd simply remind you of those four things. You have heard them over and over again, but they are just absolutely critical for us to grab and make application of to our life. The first thing we discover is this, God owns everything. You've got to understand that. You'll never find security if you don't understand that God owns everything. And even though I say that every week, and even though you know that, and you're willing to say, yes, God owns everything, there's still a little pushback, I think, that all of us have, because we want to say, well, I know that God owns everything, but I worked hard for what I have, and, and I've paid the price, and I, I've done some things, you know. Well, the bottom line is, you can't take it with you, right? 100 years from now, what's going to happen to all the stuff you have? You're not going to have it. It's not going to be there. You don't know what's going to happen to that. So what we recognize is God owns everything. Now, if it's true, and it is, that God owns everything, then what about the stuff that I do have and the resources that I have at my disposal? Well, we've discovered that as a result of the fact that I have God's resources available to me, I am a steward of all that God owns. Now, I had an email earlier, and I loved it. Uh, this individual said, you know, you talk about stewardship a lot, Pastor, and steward and stewardship's not a word that we use a whole lot today. It might be more clear if you use the word asset manager. And you know, I thought, you're right. That's what we are. We are asset managers. God owns all the assets. And so I'm the asset manager of everything that God has. He has made this available to me, and I'm the manager of his assets. Now, if it's true, and it is, that I'm an asset manager of everything God owns, then it's also true that I am responsible as an asset manager for how I manage it, right? I have to answer to God for how I manage those resources that he makes available to me. And then the fourth thing that lays that bedrock foundation for our understanding of, of, of security in an insecure world is to recognize that stewardship or asset management is not just confined to 
the money or the financial arena. We often think only in the area of money when we're talking about management of resources or asset management, but it involves so much more than that. In fact, it touches every area of our life. I'm responsible to God, not just for my money. I'm responsible for my time. I'm responsible for how I spend my life. I'm responsible for my talents, the abilities that I have, the gifts that God has given me, the resources he's made available to me, the treasures that he's given. We even discovered in our study together that we are uh, asset managers of truth. As a child of God, you and I have been given the truth of the gospel. We know the truth. In a world that desperately needs to know the truth, and God holds us accountable for the management of that truth. What are you doing with all of this that I've given to you? And so what we've discovered over the last few weeks is how we can find that security in an insecure world. Now, the last time we were together talking about this principle, I introduced the first part of a sermon. Today, we're going to have part two. The first part of the sermon a couple of weeks ago, and I know some of you are saying, well, I wasn't here for that. It doesn't matter. The people that are here don't even remember. So I'm just going to kind of back up and, and give you that, that first one real quick and set the stage for part two. But last time we were together, we did want to take a moment and look at the financial impact that this has on our life. And so, last time we were together, we began to talk about how we can have a path that will lead us toward financial security. And what is the path that will lead us toward financial security? Now, there are three things that we discover that will help us move toward financial security in our life. We talked about the first two in the last sermon. We're going to talk about the third one today. Let me give you the first two very quickly. First of all, I said before we can talk about financial freedom, we've got to define financial freedom. What is financial freedom? How do you define financial freedom? Because we define it in so many different ways. There's some of you that say, if I could just have this amount of money, I would be free financially. Some of you say, if I could just get the kids out of the house on their own, I'll be financially free. You have all kinds of ways that you define financial freedom. But according to the scriptures, when we look at the Bible, what we discover is that God says, this is what financial freedom is. This is how it's defined. All my needs are adequately met. There are three things that define financial freedom. All my needs are adequately met so that I, have, I lack nothing. I have need of nothing. So what God says is if all your needs are met, you don't need anything, then you're financially free. You are financially secure because you don't need anything. All of my needs are met. And that's the way that God longs for us to live, with all of our needs adequately met where we don't lack anything. Now, you notice I said needs, not wants. He doesn't say that he gives us everything we want. He just says, I'm going to provide everything you need. And if my needs are met, then I'm financially secure. But the second part of that is that I will be able to meet all my financial obligations. If I can pay my bills every month, and I'm not having bill collectors that are, are constantly uh, calling and badgering me. 
Uh, if I can pay all of my bills, I have adequate amounts of resources to take care of my financial obligation. Because see, God never intends that we live under a financial burden. And there are many of you that are under financial burden right now. And I would simply say to you, sometimes the reason we're in a financial burden is not, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. It's because we didn't follow God's plan. We didn't listen to the instruction that God gives. And as a result of that, we get upside down and we end up owing more than we can pay. And we're constantly living under the stress of that reality in our life. But financial freedom, financial security means I don't have that. I've got enough money to pay all my debt, and so I'm not worried about how we're gonna make it to the end of the month. The third thing that the Bible says is a description of financial security, is that at the end of the month, there will be enough left to give generously to others, or to other needs. In other words, he says, I'm gonna have some left over. After I've paid all my obligations, after I've met every need that I have, I'm gonna have something left over that I can use to bless others. And God knows that that's where the excitement lives. I mean, all of us know the joy of giving. There are every person in this room, there have been those times in your life when you have a gift that you wanna to give to somebody and you can't wait till they open it. You can't wait, it may be the perfect gift, you can't wait till they, and when they open it, you have as much joy as they do when they open it. Because we know if we can give, there's such joy. And God wants us to experience that joy and live as he does. So that's the definition of financial freedom. Now, the second thing we did last time we were together, we didn't just talk about the definition of financial freedom. We also talked about uh, the development of financial freedom. How do we move toward that? How do we get to that place? And how can that become a reality in our life? And we discovered that there were two things that we have to do as we move toward financial development, and that is that we submit to God. We looked at that passage of Scripture that says, don't lay for yourselves treasures on earth but in heaven, and, uh, and we began to recognize that we are to submit to God. If we submit and obey God, he's going to take care of all of our needs. So the first step in developing financial freedom is to submit to God. After all, he's the owner. So we talked about the importance of submission, what that looks like and what it means. Then finally, we talked about investing in his kingdom. The two ways that we can, for example, Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on, on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures on heaven. So we would ask the question, well, how do I lay up for myself treasures in heaven? I can't make a deposit in heaven. Well, the way we do that is by submitting to God, walking in obedience, and we discovered the second way that we do that is by investing in his kingdom. And how do I invest in his kingdom? We discovered two ways, tithe and giving. When we talked about the tithe, you remember I shared with you when we talked about the tithe that God instructs us of all the resources he gives us as, as an asset manager. God says, of all the resources I give you, I want you to give back to me this much. I want you to give this part back to me. And what we discovered is that from the very beginning of time, God has always reserved something in our lives 
for himself. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. He puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And what does he do? He says, you can have every, you can eat of any tree in the garden that you want. You can have full run of the garden and you are to till it, enjoy it, experience it, except that one tree. That tree is mine. Now, the reason God did that is because he wanted to remind them, I'm the owner. He knows if I don't leave something in the garden that belongs to me, you're going to think the garden belongs to you. You're going to think it's yours. You did this. You're going to develop that. So he says, I'm going to tell you, there's one tree in the garden you cannot have. That tree belongs to me. And he's done that in every area of our lives. He did that in our time. He knows that you're going to think this week belongs to you. You can do whatever you want. You can pull the camp, you can pull the calendar out, you can plan the week. And so what did God say? No, one day belongs to me. If I don't tell you one day belongs to me, you'll plan for the whole week. You'll never even have time for me. So one day belongs to me. God has always reserved something for himself. So what we learned was this. We don't tithe to pay the church bills. Tithe is not so that we can pay the pastor. Tithe is not so that, that, that we, can, we can give. Because the bottom line is God doesn't need your money. The reason we tithe is because it is our opportunity to acknowledge he is the owner. I'm just a steward. I'm just an asset manager. It's his. He has the right to say how it's spent. And God says, that part belongs to me. And so we say, you know what? It's yours. If you say that's what, it, what belongs to you, then here it is. I'm just the manager of the resources that are available to you. But we also discovered that God's not just interested in the 10%. He's also interested in the 90%. You see, sometimes we think, as long as I give the 10%, I can do whatever I want to do with the 90%. And God says, no, I want you to be faithful with that too because we also learn that the way we develop that financial freedom is not just in the tithe, but it's in giving. It's that I have something left over that I can give. I, I, uh, one of the things that's fun about doing um, a, a series of messages on, on finance is that I get emails from so many of you and the emails I get are testimonies of you saying, let me tell you my story. God did this, God did that. We started trusting God and we gave and God honored and God blessed. And I got an email from Mark and he said that I could share it with you. And it was an interesting email. Mark said, and I think it fits in to help us understand this. Mark said, hey, um, when you talked about giving and you, and you talked about tithing, uh, it reminded me of a story in my life. I'd grown up in a home where I was taught to tithe, and all my life I tithe, and even as a single young man getting my first job, uh, I tithe. I faithfully and joyfully gave a tithe. But he said, I was invited to a meeting, and it was a meeting that introduced a ministry and, and some things that this ministry was doing and was about. And at the end of the meeting, we were given an opportunity to give to that ministry. And man, as I listened to that, I, I had such a heart and a burden for that ministry. He said, but I, I literally felt like God was saying to me, I want you to give $50 a month to this ministry. And he said, that was a lot for me at the time, but I felt like God was saying that. But he said this, but I couldn't do it because I didn't have $50. I was tithing, but because I wasn't faithful with the other 90%, I didn't have $50 left over 
to give. I was so upside down. I had so much debt. I had so many things that, that I, was, uh, I, I, I was underneath that I could not give. And as a result of that, he said, it just broke my heart. I walked out to the, I walked out to the parking lot, got in the car, and I, I wept. I cried because I felt like God was telling me to do something. And I could not be obedient because I wasn't faithful with what he had given me. And so what we learned last time is that we are to tithe, but we have some left over to give. Now, today, I want to look at the third component of that. Having already talked about how we define financial security, how we develop financial security, today I want to talk about how uh, financial freedom uh, is displayed. What does it look like in our lives? Now, there, there, there's a place I want to go very quickly to kind of set the stage for this. If we are to find a book in the Bible that offers us great insight into how to live out this financial plan that God has given us, I think we can find it in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, of course, written by the wisest man that ever lived. So the advice of Solomon in the book of Proverbs. And as I look through the book of Proverbs, I've discovered in my own study, and there's certainly probably more, but I've discovered seven financial principles I'm only going to give you three today, but because I know that there are some of you that are here who are OCD, and I said seven, you're not going to be able to hear a thing I say because you're going to be worried about, I can give you three, and you're like, but I, I got to have the other four. I don't know what the other four. Let me give you all seven of them, but we're only going to talk about three, all right? So this is for the OCD people. The rest of you don't have to pay any attention. I'm just going to give it to them, and then we're going to go back. The regular folks are going to go back, and we're going to talk about three of them. But if you look through the book of Proverbs, you're going to discover this. God says of our finances, we are to honor God with all of our possessions. We're to honor God with all of our possessions. Second thing you're going to discover in the book of Proverbs, work hard for what you get. The Bible talks about a work ethic and how we are to work for what we get and not depend on others, but we are to work hard for what we get. The third principle we find in the book of Proverbs is be honest in all your dealings. If you're a businessman, be honest in the dealings of your business. Be honest in the execution of anything financial. The, the fourth principle is this, live within your income. Don't spend more than you make. Wasn't that a simple one? But man, that one gets us upside down so many times. Here's the next one. Save some for future needs. Put some back for a rainy day. Here's uh, number six. Use what you have to help others. Use some of what you have to make a difference and help others. And then finally, number seven is don't lose sight of true wealth and what real wealth is. Now, for our time together today, we're just going to look at three of those. I think those are good resources for us. And we're going to look at three things and how we can apply them. And these three that we're going to look at, I'm going to refer to them as fixed expenses. We're going to look at how we are to handle the fixed expenses in our life, how we are to handle the future expenses in our life, and how are we to handle the fun expenses in our life. And I do that with three verses of scripture. I want to give all three of them to you, and then we're going to talk about it together. Proverbs, if you look in chapter, we're going to be in chapter 19, 21, and 22. Chapter 22, verse 7 says this, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes a slave to the lender. You're familiar with that verse, but he's talking about the importance of living within 
your means. He's talking about the importance of our fixed expenses. The second verse we're going to look at in chapter 21, verse 20, he talks about our future expenses. 21, verse 20, there is precious treasure in oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. You go into the house of a wise and he's got extra prepared and ready, knowing that tough times might come, but a fool uses and spends everything he has and there's nothing left after it's gone. And then the fun expenses we're going to find in a reference in chapter 19, verse 17. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him with or repay him for his good deeds. As we give to others, it's like lending to the Lord, and he will repay us for our good deeds. Those are the fun expenses. As we give, that's the fun part, but it also is expressed in the fun uh, part of our budget. Now, this is what I'm going to do for the remainder of our time. I want you to know what this looks like. How does this look like? What does this look like in our daily life? And to do that, I want to introduce you to a couple in our church who have kind of lived this out, and they're walking through this, and because I know their story, I thought this is a great way for us to see how this works in our life, and so I want to introduce you to uh, a, a, a couple that's a part of our church, John and Catherine Shepherd. So John and Catherine, would you join me right now, and uh, we're going to come together and just talk for a second. You'll probably recognize John and Catherine. John's involved in our, uh, our orchestra and the orchestra ministry. Catherine's involved in our, our choir and, uh, and music ministry, and they're both a vital part of who we are. And John, thank you for being here today because he came back actually from the men's retreat in Oklahoma. So he got up at four this morning to drive back so that he could be here for the early service. And uh, I told him, man, I'm grateful that he did that. I would have left at six and drove faster, but, uh, <laughs> but he got up and got here and I'm grateful uh, that he did. Uh, and I know this story. I, I've got to tell you, Catherine, when I came to be pastor here, you and your family were here and you were eight years old at the time. Yep. So I've known this girl since she was eight years old. I got to see them grow up, know her mom and dad. And uh, her dad's a deacon and actively involved in our church in so many ways. And so it's been fun. And then as they grew, uh, had the opportunity to meet John and, and familiar with them during the time that they were dating and then be a part of them as they were married. And, uh, and so I know their story. Now, this is what I want to do. I want you to see what it looks like to, to live out this financial um, uh, security that the Bible talks about in the area of our fixed uh, income in the future and in the fun uh, area of our life. So to do that, I need to tell you what I know uh, so it kind of sets the stage and you'll understand why I think they're a great uh, opportunity for us to talk about it. Uh, when did you guys get married? John, y all, y all, how long have you been married? Eight years. Eight years. So they were married eight years ago. They got a beautiful little girl named uh, Sophia. She's one of my favorite little people in the world. And uh, she's just a fun little girl. And so they've been married eight years. And shortly after that, you bought your first home, right? Mm -hmm. It was 2017, about two years after we got married. Okay, so two years after you got married. So about six years ago, 
you bought your first home, so that's something that we always want to do as, as, a, as a couple, is just get to that milestone where we buy that home. Um, now, to get really personal with you, and in order for us to all to kind of talk through that together, I want to get personal with you so that they can see how this works. Um, how much money do you owe on your home right now? Zero dollars. Zero dollars. So your home is paid for? Yes, it is. Okay. So... You have like a wealthy uncle um, that died and left you millions of dollars, and so the inheritance came through and you were able to buy the home, right? Nope, not at all. Okay. Not that she's told me. <laughs> no, that, she hadn't told you about it. Maybe you, you yeah. I, all right, so you, you guys don't have this, this large amount of money. You didn't walk into the marriage with great, great amount of money for this to happen. So would you agree with me that that's unusual? that in six years your house is paid for. And by the way, you bought the house in 2017, so its value has gone up drastically since that time, and you don't owe anything on that, so it's, it's paid for. Wow, um, that's the goal for so many of us, and many of us have lived a long time, been married a long time, and we're still looking forward to the time that we can pay for the house. So, so I, I'm interested in how did you do that? How did you get to the place um, where that was able to happen in your life. So let's start here. Uh, I know that the journey, at least I, I know your part of the journey, and it certainly it was probably a part of John. I know his family. Um, and it's part of John's life too, but I, because I know your story. Um, where did this story begin for you where you really began to recognize the importance of getting a handle on the finances of your life? Because you're so young now. So when did that journey begin for you? So my journey actually started with my parents first. So when I was in high school, they took a class called Financial Peace University, which we offer here, which just helps you get a hold of your finances. And they invited me multiple times and I was like, nah, that sounds boring, I don't wanna do that. And then right before I went to college, the summer before, my dad finally talked me into taking the class and I found out I actually really love this stuff. I'm a nerd and I like budgeting and I like spreadsheets and numbers and something I didn't know about myself beforehand. Hmm. So it was right before you went to college. So mm -hmm. we're talking about right out of high school, you began to discover things you didn't know about finance mm -hmm. and, and made discoveries. Now you described yourself as a nerd and you love spreadsheets <laughs> and that gives you an opportunity to say, well, I'm not a nerd. I don't like spreadsheets, so it'll never work for me, but, um, but it will work for you. I don't want you to be discouraged by that. Um, I want to say this to you though. I think there's an important thing and uh, mom and dad, where's your mom and dad? Are they in here? They well, may have been. Dad's, oh, the dad's working there. the camera back there. Um, listen, mom and dad, it is so important that you teach your children financial principles. I think many great parents do a good job preparing their kids in every area except finances. And if you're not teaching your children, your grandchildren principles of finance, and I want to tell you why I think many of us are not teaching them principles of finance, because you're not doing good in the area of finances. And if you hadn't got a handle on it, but because her mom and dad went through Financial Peace University and began to get a handle on it in their life, they had the resources now to be able to say to their daughter, hey, there are some principles. So let me just say to you that, it, that if you're a parent and you're struggling, it might be important for you to, to, to listen to those. But it, it was just really cool that through that, 
you began to get interested in Financial Peace University. And, and so it impacted your going to college too, didn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I was able to, I didn't, I didn't end up taking out student loans because my parents were able to pay for my college. I got a job, I was able to buy my own car with cash and I didn't end up ever getting a credit card. So I just lived on what I made and it just kind of changed the trajectory of how I was probably going to deal with money. Okay, so the first car you bought, you bought with cash. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a, wasn't a new car. It was a Toyota Corolla. I love that thing, it lasted 10 years. Okay, so you kept it for 10 years, all right? Um, and it was paid for, so you mm -hmm. didn't have a car note, but you continued to, to live off what you made. And then John comes into the picture, and John, uh, as you guys begin to date, how soon into the dating process did you realize, this girl is pretty serious about this finance stuff? I'd say the first sign was a few months into dating, our first Valentine's Day date. I had to attend a Financial Peace University class she was teaching before I could take her out for dinner. <laughs> So all of a sudden from taking the class, you're teaching the class. Yep. And so you want to take her out on Valentine's Day. Oh, sorry, I'm teaching financial peace. So you've got to come and, and do that. Uh, and so you went through that. You know, now I want to tell you this too. As they got married, um, and I've never had this happen before, uh, but when you guys were getting married, and I was privileged to be able to perform the ceremony before we walked out and before Catherine walks down the aisle and the guys are in the back, John tells me, he said, Carol, I gotta tell you what I got Catherine for a wedding gift. And, um, and, I, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. What did you get her? And he said, what? I paid off the last of my interest-free student loans so that okay. we could go into the marriage debt-free. All right, so he said, I paid off all my student debt now, I want to tell you something, there's a, there's a great marriage lesson there too, because this guy, before they ever got married, knew the heart of his wife. He knew how big that was to her and for him to do that. And did you also notice he paid off a debt that was a zero percent? And there are a lot of people that say, well, don't pay that off. It's no percentage. It's no, uh, you, that's just keep doing it. But you were like, no, this is a big deal for us to walk into the marriage debt free and you were able to do that and walk into the marriage debt-free. And so as a result of walking into the marriage debt-free, we're now in a place where we can move forward. So how do you handle your fixed income? Did you guys have a budget? Do you have a budget and do you live by that now or? Do we have a budget? Yeah, we definitely have a budget. <laughs> yeah. And we do live by it. I mean, a budget is an ever-changing thing. So, you know, like when we had our daughter, it changes. And, but we have lived by it ever since. That's our plan for how we're going to spend our money. All right. Now, it was interesting because you said that. When you were pregnant with Sophia, or even before that, you began to plan for that. Okay, so you're saying we're going to have a child. How's that going to impact us? Then what did you do? Yeah, I'm an absolute planner. So when we decided that we were thinking about going to have a kid, and I had always known that I wanted to stay at home, and be a stay-at-home mom with Sophia. So I said, all right, well, before we have a kid, let's practice living just on John's income to make sure that we can do this so that it's actually feasible. So by the time we had Sophia, we weren't worried about it. We'd already been doing it for probably at least six months to a year at that point. And that also gave us extra money that we could do things to like work on, you know, paying off our house and stuff like that. So, and what you did, of course, to pay your house off early, you didn't just pay the monthly amount, but you added to that. So you, you planned and paid 
more on your house note than was required. And how did, uh, how did that impact? Were there sacrifices that you had to make? Are there things that you had to say no to in order to say yes to that? Um, how did that impact your life? Do you feel like you, you missed out on something? I was gonna say there were a lot less sushi dinners than I would have wanted. Okay, good. So there were some things that you had to give up, some things that you didn't do. Um, how do you manage that? Because so many of us are like, you know what? We only live once. You're only alive. Well, you know, enjoy life because you never know when. So how do you, how do you manage the, the, those sacrifices? I mean, did you cheat every now and then and say, you know what? We are going to splurge and go do that. And well, it's not cheating if you plan for it. Ah, good answer. <laughs> so you budgeted for those moments too, that, Hey, you know, we want to do something different. And we walk through that. So that's how you manage that fixed income as you go through it. But now, in addition to that, the scriptures talks about future things because you've got a car that's 10 years old. You, um, it's not a matter of if it's going to break down. It's a matter of when it's going to break down. It's not a matter of if your insurance is going to go up. It's, it's going to go up. It's a matter of when does it go up. How do you plan for those things in the future that, that are not written down? So how did you handle those things? It's funny you bring up the example of when a car breaks down because that actually did happen at one point. Right after we bought the house, a truck plows into my uh, Corolla on the battery side, and it's a 10-year-old car at that point, maybe 12. And the insurance says it's not worth it to try to repair it anymore. It's not worth, it's not worth that much money. So we had enough money in our emergency fund saved up, we could just go out and buy a new car for that. All right, so in addition to paying extra on a house note, you're budgeting and putting money aside every month for an emergency? Yep, we have an emergency fund. Well, if it's fully stocked, we won't add any more to it, but we kind of keep a certain amount, like three to six months of expenses. That way, if we have a car breakdown or say, John lost his job or something like that. We have time and money to go figure out what we need to do. On top of that, we put a big chunk of it into a money market account so it's earning interest while it's just sitting there. Okay. Do, do you understand how that means financial stability and peace? Do you understand that, that what they're saying is, I'm not worried about the, the bill collectors, I'm not worried about is, is, are we gonna have a place to live? I'm not worried about if something goes wrong. We have a plan in place to take care of that. Um, and, and that makes all the difference in the world. And, and it's so imperative, you young guys, if you get a handle on this right now, I'm gonna tell you something, you, you are miles ahead. If you get a handle on this at the age you are right now, when you get to the age I am, the, the options that are gonna be available to you are gonna be incredible as a result. Now let's come to the last part and talk about this because that's the fun part. Because God is not just interested in us living by this budget and you know, under the, the, the threat of all of this until we get certain things, but he wants us to enjoy life as well. And once you guys paid the house off and you were able to do that, suddenly you've got all of that money that you were putting in the house, we've got that free now. Um, and it's not earmarked for anything. So we can have some fun with that. And I know that there's something that you've always wanted all your life. You've always loved this all your life. And so when the house was paid off, you got to do it. And what was that? 
I got to get a horse. You bought a horse. That was part of where our money went. All right, so you got to buy a horse, and it's fun. I mean, because you can afford that. You get to the place where it's not gonna cost, and we are able to do that, and you stepped into that and are able to do that. Now, I also know, John, that, that on the front end, and you recognize that life changes, and we, we, we have plans, and we have to adjust those plans. When you two first got married, you had been saving when you were single for a Camaro. And you had saved up a pretty good amount, but once you got married, it's like all of a sudden, you know, a Camaro is probably not the most. Well, priority shifted at that point, and I realized it would be better, better used putting that towards the house we were trying to get. So that became the sizable down payment we put on the house that could bring the monthly payments down. That would then allow us to put additional funds into the principal. So that you can position yourself down the road for a Camaro for Sophia. <laughs> no. No, okay. That's not gonna be her um, first car. But what I want you to see is if you take biblical principles and you apply them, there's freedom. And there's fun. And all of a sudden, if God puts it on our heart to help someone, we can. And in fact, one of the things that happened that, that was kind of fun and ministry-oriented is John, um, last year, was it last year that he came and said, um, I think God wants me to, to be a part of a mission trip. So what happened? Yeah, last summer, John approached me and said, I really feel like I have a heart that I want to go to Japan. And I said, okay, we'll save for that. And John got to go on his first international mission trip last year. And it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, because you guys planned for it. You put the money aside. You didn't borrow the money to do that. You put the money aside, you worked toward that, and you were able to do. And, and there's freedom, and God wants all of us to live in that. I just, I love their story. I love that it reflects all of those different areas where God is asking us to be faithful asset managers of our life. And I wanna say this to you, because there's, it's easy for us to say, well, it's easy for them, circumstances are such that, but it, it's not. You know what, it boils down to one thing, and it's that dreaded D word, discipline. If you discipline yourself, it, you see, here's the problem. Many of you think you think the answer to financial freedom is more money. What I need, if I could just make more money, if I could just get more money, if I could do that, maybe the reason they're where they are is because John makes good money. If I could just make good money like he does, I'll be there. I want you to understand the answer to financial freedom is not more money. The answer to financial freedom is the management of the money you have. When you manage what you have, it moves you to that place. And there are some of you that are here today and God's Holy Spirit has taken their story and he is saying to you, that needs to be your story. You need to get out of the mess you're in. It is time for you to get out of the mess you're in. It's time for you to get a handle on this. Do you know the number one reason marriage fail is finances and God is saying you know what you don't have a there's so many of you your marriages are struggling because your finances are struggling it's time for you to get a handle on this we offer financial peace university on Wednesday nights don't you dare be ashamed don't you be afraid to come 
you may not even need, you may be doing well, and, and I don't know if you guys ever attend Financial Peace University even when you're doing well, but it's fine for you to go back and attend that and be reminded of those principles and be encouraged by those principles. You'll find encouragement to continually live out that calling that God has placed on every one of our lives so that we can find security in him. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. Would you just say thank you for uh, John and Catherine and uh, Mike. Isn't that, isn't that a great story? And I want to say this to you. That could be your story. I really believe that. I believe that there are many of you that need to make those kinds of adjustments in your life to bring your life in line. And it's going to make all the difference in the world. There is a way that we can have security in an insecure world if we embrace the principles that God has given us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message you've given us today, the opportunity to see it fleshed out before us, to see it work in our life. And I ask God that you would speak to the hearts of all that are present, that we would take what we've heard, what we've discovered, and we will as you prompt us, Holy Spirit, say yes to you, and we will take the necessary steps. We will, we will embrace the discipline required to get where we need to get so that we can serve you faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen to me. There are some of you that it's going to take years to get where you need to be. You're not going to get out of the, the, the situation. You're, it's going to take years. But don't give up. I want to encourage you to step out right now and begin the process, no matter how long it takes, to get to the place that you need to be so that God can use you as he wants you to, and you can experience the freedom that he provides in that area of your life. So I want to challenge you to step in to that, lean into that. If you're here today and have never accepted Christ, we always want to offer an opportunity for you to accept Jesus as your Savior. And, and I want to tell you something. When we're looking at what God says, if, if God wants you to live that way, that's a God that loves you. That's a God that, that is on your side. That's a God that, that wants you to experience freedom in life. And he offers forgiveness of sin and the opportunity to, to live in his power and strength as we move forward. So we want to give you an opportunity to do that. And at the conclusion of our service, I'm going to be in the Connection Corner and love to engage in conversations. You can always email me, pastor at southcliff.com with questions that you might have, and we can talk about what it means to have that walk with God. And I encourage you and I challenge you to go on Wednesday night to Financial Peace University or find another financial class that will give you the direction you need. You make a commitment to that and you stay in there until you begin to see this happen and it's gonna make all the difference in the world. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial
gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.